Welcome back. This week, we are going to focus on the hot topic in the in the news uh, because, well, for the last eight months, the, the, the primary hot topic has been COVID. Um, and so uh, it, it hasn't changed this week. Uh, we're going to talk about COVID, but also, but the COVID vaccine there over the last couple of weeks, we've received some really uh, good news as it relates to, you know, a COVID vaccine. Um, but of course, with all good news comes controversy. So we're going to talk a little bit about that controversy because it has turned into the to a psychological discussion. Right. Uh, 2020, 2020 is the year. Yes, but, um, you know, it's just like no matter what happens, it's, yeah, we had, yeah, yes, we had an election, but yes, we have, and now it's, yes, we have a vaccine, but, um, and um, it's, it's in the news because on December the 10th, um, well, what we want to talk about are the issues surrounding that vaccine. Right. Because it's not as every, I think everybody must have assumed that once we get the vaccine, we vaccinate everybody and the pandemic's going to be over. Okay. So it's far more complicated than that. Right. And we're going to try to resist talking of, you know, going in, going down the whole line of anti-vaccine um, situation, because that is a completely different discussion. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Um, and so we're not going to go we're not going to talk about it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, those of you who may have been looking for something like that, that's not what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, yeah, this, is, this is not an anti-vax, uh, anti-vaccination diatribe. Uh, that, that is a separate topic. Right. This is about the vaccine we've all been waiting for, that, that we've been waiting for all year. Um, and now it's here, it's been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. But now there are a number of issues surrounding the vaccine that we are now going, now confronting us, okay? Um, and one of them is safety. <clears throat> um, everybody's concerned about the safety. Should I get it? Is it harmful? Is Bill Gates somehow involved? You know, the, those sorts of issues. But first issue is safety. Second issue is, <clears throat> will people agree? And uh, there are certain attitudes about this vaccine in particular um, and how people are approaching it. So what we wanted to do was sort of talk about not the medical or the uh, distribution aspects of this, but the, the psychology that around this vaccine about, about whether or not you're gonna take the vaccine. Right, absolutely. And, and, that's, and that's why we're making sure that we emphasize that we're not talking about it from an anti-vaccine perspective because no. mm -hmm. the, the numbers of, of individuals who are um, concerned or maybe even against this particular vaccine is mm -hmm. far higher far greater than the numbers associated with anti-vaccines. Right. Um, you know, anti-vaccines, those who uh, are against vaccinating, you know, our, our babies and, and toddlers um, because of concerns related to development and all, all that, you know, that's a relatively small group of individuals um, mm -hmm. as compared to almost 50% of, of Americans are saying that they're really concerned and may not Except right. a vaccine for COVID, that's yeah, a, no, nowhere near no. 50, nowhere near fifty percent of parents right. are reluctant to have their children immunized. But we're looking at numbers approaching fifty percent at least, and that may be an underestimate of people who are, are at least reluctant or hesitant right. to agree to get this vaccine. 
And, and so the first issue is safety, you know, and the question is, did the FDA rush, rush through this thing just to, get the, um, just to get the vaccine out there? And there's a great article uh, written by a, a virologist from Michigan. And, um, and in it, she reminds us that in, on December the 10th, there was an FDA advisory council that voted 17, uh, 17 of 22 members um, who voted yes. And the question was, based on the totality of scientific evidence, do the benefits outweigh the risks for individuals 16 years old? So, so that's the question that the FDA has to answer. Right, the benefits over the risks for this particular vaccine, for Pfizer's uh, particular for, vaccine. Right, we're, we're all hearing about the Pfizer vaccine, okay? And this is about, because it's been the first, I guess Pfizer's and Moderna's are gonna be the first two that are approved. Well, Pfizer's, uh, the advisory committee on December the 10th said that, and on December the 12th, the, F, the full FDA gave its approval. Right. So now, um, this uh, vaccine, which has already been manufactured, now can be distributed. Okay, right. now it'll be sent out. Now, um, to give you, I mean, the logistics of this are going to be impressive um, and, 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 and enormous because we're talking about millions of, of, uh, of uh, samples have to be sent out. And you've all heard about the cold temperature that has to be at 94 below zero. Um, so there's that cooling problem and um, the distribution problem. England is going, uh, starting now, that England approved it last week and they've started their distribution. And it's gonna be a massive undertaking. I mean, you're talking about immunizing uh, millions of people and it's a two-part vaccine. You have to get two shots, not one. So there's that also that, you know, a person may get the first shot, not the second shot, and they're still not um, safe. So, so the council has said, no, this is safe. Um, but during that, meeting and and the reason this woman wrote this article is because people are questioning um the transparency of the process right. and she wrote the article to say this what this is a transparent process right and, and at the end of the meeting there was a, it was a nine-hour meeting and there was a one-hour time for any dissent or comments to be made so, and so, so even people who were opposed to it had an opportunity to express their opposition and their concerns. So this was an open process. Right. And this, is, and this was a, a public um, presentation. Okay. And so questions were open to the public. Like anybody could have watched this. Anyone could have asked, had the opportunity to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't restricted to, you know, FDA or, or people in scientific community in general, it, it was anyone could ask questions. Right, and one of the questioners happened to be um, a representative from the National Vaccine Information Center, which sounds like uh, should be an NIH, like a government agency of some sort. Right. And actually it is the lobbying group that um, promotes what they call educated decision-making but actually what it is, is it's the anti-vax movement. And there was a wonderful program last week uh, reported in an in-depth analysis of this. This is, a, this is an organization whose sole mission is to discredit and raise questions about vaccinations, okay? So, but, she, but again, 
they, the anti-vax group was given a voice. So it's not like nobody's talking that they had their say and they raised they raised their questions. Which is important. And and you know, before anyone jumps up and says, you know, well, you know, I thought you weren't going to talk about anti-vaccines or anti-vax uh, movement or that um, we're discouraging, not, not in any way. Um, no. You know, it, it's important, as you said, that they, they, they have a voice as well, because that is, that is a group of people who look into this um, okay. and, and are very concerned about our safety and, and what it means, um, sure. and what vaccines can do to us and things. And so it's, it is important that they have the opportunity to ask questions and take part in this process. Right, yeah, and so they ask what are, are really legitimate scientific questions, you know, who's included in the trial? Did we include everybody? Are you sure you did due diligence? So they raised what we would call devil's advocate kind of questions, you know, I wanna make sure that you guys have considered everything. And so not in a confrontational way, but this woman said, let me answer your questions. They're legitimate questions. Let me answer your questions. And the way she did it, the way the she author, approached The author said, let me ask into your questions. Right, right. The author of this piece that's, that we have posted. And so she said, let me answer your questions. And, and in the process, she explained the three phases of an FDA trial, which I thought would be very interesting for our audience to see how these decisions are made. Right. Um, you know, you hear about, well, we're in phase two and we're in phase one and, you know, what do those phases mean? So this is, um, I, I think, useful information yep. for all of us. Um, in in fa a phase one trial is designed simply to see if this is safe. Is, right. is, is this product safe? Does it hurt people? Is there anything that could go wrong? And the question that they ask is how high a dose is safe? Right. How, how much? how high a dose in this drug is safe. So what they do is they get a group of volunteers. Um, <laughs> I'd like to talk to that group. <laughs> well, and, and it's important to say that um, these phases, mm -hmm. this isn't where they started. No. You no, know, um, when, you know, when we, back in another lifetime, when we worked at the university right. and we were part of some of these kinds of um, studies, not, not particular vaccines, but, um, medication. These phases, phase one, two, and three that we're going to talk about now came after all of the bench work. Um, and by bench work, we're talking about, you know, looking at uh, the virus in a Petri dish and, and subjecting it to different things and seeing how it responds. And, you know, in some ways, then going to, um, you know, animal tissue and, and looking at it from a you know, in a very sequential stepwise process. And once it gets through all of that and is deemed safe, then they get to human trials. Right, and human trials is a huge step. Absolutely. You have to, you have to do a lot of work before you get to human trials. I mean, right. there, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of benchmarks that have to be met before you can try it with your, the first human. That's right, that's right. So we knew the drug, probably wasn't going to kill anybody. There were probably no, because we had tested it on all sorts of animals right. and, and animal, animals are not that, we're not that different genetically, okay? Right. Uh, there's only a few genes that separate us from the, from the great apes. And so, um, so if, it, if it doesn't kill them, it's unlikely, but, but that's why you have this process. So you're right, the, this, the science, the, the basic science had all been done before we got to phase one. Right. 
Yeah, and, and, and they're pretty sure that it wasn't going to kill animals before it got to the animal part. Right, you know, exactly. You can't, you know, you have to go through iCook and all of these other um, agencies right. to make sure that, you know, you're, you're treating the, um, the animals in the research, that you're treating them humanely and, right. and not subjecting them to undue distress. Right. Yeah, you, yeah, you couldn't do something where you just might kill a bunch of animals, you know, they're, right. they're not going to give permission for that either. Right, and then PETA, PETA wouldn't uh, stand for that, you know. I mean, so, so there are these these checks and balances in this process. Yeah. When you get to phase one, phase one of this drug and and or this vaccine and, and most drugs is on very healthy volunteers. Right, and of course the obvious reason is um, we want to make sure that there are no underlying medical conditions that might have influenced a person's response to that. I don't, have, I don't have allergies. I'm not sick. I don't have um, asthma. So, right. so you pick healthy volunteers where there's no chance that something else might be contributing to the uh, drug effects. Okay. So the, so you make sure that the drug is, is safe at a certain dose. Right. Okay? What's, what's, the, what's the top end of this? You know, if you look up medications, there's always a dose. This, right. this range to this range. Right, so and we, we want to look at the therapeutic dose, and so what is the, the the lowest dose we can give that's effective, and what is the highest dose that you can give right before you start getting into detrimental set of side effects. That's right. That's right. Where do the side effects really begin? At what dose? Okay, so you have this range. I want to give as little as possible, but as much as needed to be effective. Okay, right. so that's phase one. Phase two is. Um, we begin phase two is to see if the drug is effective. So phase one is, is it safe and at what dose? Phase two is, does it work? And, right. and is, it better than, is it better than anything else that we have, okay? So the phase two trial is, is it effective? Does it work, okay? Then we determine that, okay? Then the phase three trial is, does it work better than the standard of care we currently have? Right. You know, like aspirin. Aspirin works very well for pain. So if somebody wants to come out with another drug, the question at phase three would be, is this better than, ex than the standard of care that we currently have? Right. Okay. Right. Now, the interesting thing about the phase three trial is that typically when you develop a drug at phase three, you use several hundred participants. Right. With this vaccine, they used 40,000 participants. So that answers the question of, are you sure you tested this on enough people? Right. You know, we know it works on these several hundred people, but we have a vaccine that they tested on 40,000 people. Right. And so it, 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 we know that it's safe, phase one, we know that it works, phase two, and we know that it works on a broad range of people at phase three, because right. we tested 40,000, not several hundred. Right, it's better than the, the standard of care. Uh, That's right. and, and remember that our, our, our current standard of care is um, basically social distancing. That's right. We don't we don't really have anything like this. Right. So that that's why this got emergency approval, because right now we don't have anything. Right. Okay? So this is better than anything else because it's the only thing we have. Right. So so if this vaccine has made it through these three phases. Um, successfully and got to the point where the FDA would even say, yes, you know, we made it through and, and based upon the data, 
collected in these three phases, mm -hmm. it's approved for distribution. Right. You know, when we then start to question, when people start to then, you know, throw out these questions as to the safety and efficacy, it, it's it's a it, it is almost a an intentional attempt right. to to raise concern um, and and to get people to to not trust the science mm -hmm. um, because the science has demonstrated this already. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know we start getting into that that whole argument of um, alternative facts and, and things like that that we've talked about you know many times before right but here we are in the, in an, a, a perfect concrete example of how that's being used again mm -hmm. to make people hesitant um, to, to do something that has been demonstrated to be pretty effective right yeah the the um, this article is a, is a good example. The FDA is a very transparent process. This, this stuff doesn't happen behind, right. in secret, okay? It's a trend. We know what happened in phase one. Many, many people were involved in phase one. You, right. you can't get everybody to collude and to be deceptive. Phase two was a completely open trial. Phase three involved 40,000 participants and thousands of professionals. You can't get that number of people to collude and to, to keep a secret, okay? Right. It is a transparent process. We know what happened at each phase. We know it's safe, we know it works, and we know it's effective. So to question the science is really to introduce mistrust in the scientific uh, process, in the scientific evidence. The science is very clear, open process, very clear that it works, very clear that it's safe. So any, anybody who raises questions now, uh, they're really raising, uh, they're really just trying to right. raise people's suspicion that, that there's something wrong with the scientific evidence. And let's face it, we've been through a period in, our, in, in, in the last few years where science has been questioned, scientific evidence has been questioned, and people, people have, have um, many people in our country now um, are suspicious of science and scientists. Look at all the controversy surrounding uh, Dr. Fauci. You know, he's been a world leader for 40 or 50 years, and now suddenly he's been discredited. Um, that sort of thing um, is, is what's being raised here, is that we're, we're, we have a mistrust of scientific evidence. Uh, this is the science that we have, okay? This, this is what we know. This is the science that we have. Um, so if we don't do anything, let's say we, the decision is made to maintain the status quo. Let's not, let's not have the vaccine, all right? That's, to do nothing is still a policy decision. Sure. I've decided to do nothing, and that's my policy. That's still a policy decision. That means, if, if I do nothing, that means that many more thousands of people are gonna die of right. this disease. Um, if, you, if you open up any news program right now, not any news program, most news programs right now, you will see South Korea record numbers, Japan record numbers, Germany record numbers, country after country after country has record numbers of cases. Just as was predicted, the winter has brought on a surge in cases, okay? And so if we don't do something, um, many, many thousands of people are gonna die. Hospitals are gonna fill up. They are beginning to fill up around the country and economies are gonna be devastated, okay? So to do nothing is a policy decision. So we have to do something. 
this is what we have. This is right. what has, this is what science has given us. It's a safe vaccine, effective vaccine, and we need to get moving on and get it to people as soon as possible. And, 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 and this kind of leads us very nicely into the sort of the second part of the podcast. And that is, you know, okay, so we have it, it's going to be available for distribution. Are people going to take it? That, that becomes the question. You know, we have, the scientists have done their job. You know, here, they have created a vaccine that's safe and effective, okay? Now the question is, are, are people gonna take it? And that's why this is where it gets into more of the psychological realm, you know, right. is the, 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 the creating the vaccine and testing the vaccine, that's, that's um, medical science, that's hard science, um, biology, um, chemistry this is getting into human behavior you know will people um will people take the vaccine and um you know we we talked before about the idea of you know herd immunity Mm -hmm. and and again i think that i think it is important for us to say the likelihood of us gaining herd immunity for covid19 is probably pretty small um if it exists at all we don't even have herd immunity for the flu I want you to emphasize what you just said. You know, people talk about, well, we'll have herd immunity. We don't have herd immunity for the common cold. Right. Or for any flu that we experience during the, during the wintertime. Yeah. And every year, we, you know, we're encouraged to take the flu vaccine. Right. Because it doesn't carry over from year to year. Um, there are different strands of the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there are different types of coronavirus uh, right. that we talked about before. So you know, we need to back off of this idea that we will get herd immunity um, and, you know, just look at, again, the science and look at what is needed from a public health perspective. Right. Um, right. And, and that is, you know, why would it be, or why would a person refuse the vaccine? Um, and what would make someone else take the vaccine? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that gets into human decision-making. Right, right. Um, yeah, so what we have, this, what this um, author does in the second piece is um, what, are, what are people's intentions regarding the vaccine? Right. And he lists um, several studies that were done, several, um, 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 what do they call those things in public? I don't know what they're called. Um, anyway, <clears throat> surveys. Um, the survey data. Okay, so we survey large numbers of people and we take a random sample and say, okay, let's talk to 10,000 people and see what they say. Right. So the Pew Research Foundation did Which a study. Is, this is my favorite set of de- data, by the way. What, what is it? Pew, this, Pew data. Pew? Because they, lo- they looked at May when, they, right. when, when it was first hitting um, and only 27% said that they either definitely would not take it or probably would not take it. Right. Then they, then they redid it in September, mm-hmm. and now we're up to almost 50% said that they either definitely would not or probably would not take the vaccine. Right. right. The, the numbers almost doubled. Right. And so there was all this excitement about a vaccine. And why, why did, the, why did it, the number of people who said, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to, why did it double? Well, because doubt. Doubt was introduced. Um, in the ensuing months between May and September. And now you have half of people wondering, you know, is, is it safe? Is it effective? Should I do it? Should I not do it? I don't trust the government. Or I don't trust. I, 
I think that another reason that it probably dipped, though, is because September was just before the holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we started seeing the, you know, the numbers were decreasing there for a while. And I think that in September, people were like, you know, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. We've got a handle on it. The number of hospitalizations right. are down. The number of deaths are down. Um, you know, mm-hmm. things start to open up, started opening up. Kids were going back to school and all that kind of stuff. Um, but by October and certainly by November, everything started going back up again. And we're starting to hit record numbers. Right. And so it'd be really interesting to see what the numbers say now. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know what, I mean, there were, um, uh, there were the CNN poll and then the Gallup poll that we're going to talk about in just a moment that mm-hmm. has the numbers a, a little bit different. Um, but still, you know, we're still talking about a lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the CNN Gallup said, uh, CNN said in October it was 45%. Right. So they wouldn't. Um, and that's, and in Gallup, they said 50% said they would, but 50% said no. Okay. Right. And by November, it was 68% who said. Um, the, so the numbers are, 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 are going up. Um, and it's beginning to look like about half the population right. is expressing real reluctance for right. the vaccine. You know, and you see that throughout these studies. Um, in, um, and, and the other thing that's alarming is, is in the specific groups. They, they looked at people in general, and then they looked at, at people who are in these high-risk groups. Right. So this group of nurses um, were, were, were uh, surveyed, and 34, 34% said, yes, I'll get the vaccine. These are people who are exposed to this right. on a daily basis. Uh, 34%, yes, 36% said no, 31%. So it's about a third, a third, a third. Right. Uh, yes, I will, no, I won't, and I'm not sure. Um, healthcare workers in general, uh, 66.5% said, uh, I'm going to delay it. And so most people have this wait and see attitude. Right. You know, I don't think I'm going to do it. Older Americans, another high risk group, 58% said yes, 28% no, 14. So almost a 50 50 split between, it's a 60 40 split between those who said yes and those who either said no or they weren't sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it's important to note that. Um, as with the case with every survey, these are typically underestimates. That's right. Because, you know, we can all sit here and say, well, when it becomes available, I will do this. Mm-hmm. But we know that, um, again, from psychological research, we know that when we're actually in that situation, our decision-making may be very different. You know, because of my age, I'm in one of those high-risk groups. Well, I have asthma too, okay? So, so I'm in a high-risk group. So when the virus, first, I was very excited, and and I'm a yes, okay. I'm de- I don't mind saying that. Um, I believe the science. I know the process. So um, I'm not afraid of this vaccine at all, um, and I and I believe that vaccination is is an important part of our our uh, health. But when it comes time to roll up my sleeve, <laughs> it, it's a completely different set of circumstances. So right now I'm saying. I'm a yes. I'm a very strong yes. I'll be there. I'll be at the front of the line. But when I get in my car and drive to the to the to the site, um, that's a very different um, that's a very different day, you know. And so, so there there is a an aspect of it being socially desirable. That's right. 
you know, in a survey. Right, right. You know, you look at the survey, okay, this is my obligation. I have to do my part. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, again, you have that practical aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the one of the big concerns is, and, and I've heard some of this on, on some news uh, outlets, is that um, <laughs> this is going to take effort. It's not, it's not like you just go to the doctor and you get the shot. Right. Um, that that is the the ultimate behavior that you have to do. Okay. However, what it also means is you have to go back and do a second one. So you have to do it twice. <laughs> do it twice. So if the and, and, you know, if we just say it really simply, if you take it the first time and you have an unpleasant experience because it hurts, because you know sometimes those shots, you know, right. it's, it it it's warm or it's um it creates muscle weakness or mm -hmm. you know something that it that because you're getting it getting the shot in in a muscle, um yeah. if that is uncomfortable or if it's difficult for you to take time off to go and have it done, you may get the first one. But you may not go back to get the second one. And that's what there, there's a big concern about that. Yeah, nobody looks forward to getting a shot. You know, it's one of our great fears. You know, that all kids, um, am I going to get a shot? You know, none of us like to get a needle. Okay, most of us don't like to get a needle. So there's that initial reluctance. Then you have to get the first shot. Right. And th there could be some reaction. Okay, you don't know. I mean, it could be painful. You could be tired. It's a little bit of a response which reduces your motivation then to get the second shot. So again, from a psychological perspective, it's, you're, you're not going to be highly motivated or reinforced to get that second shot. So it is an effortful process. This vaccine, you don't go in and, and get it sprayed on you. You're gonna have to have two injections, probably not gonna be pleasant, um, but it's well worth it. Also, there's always a risk involved. Sure. There's a risk involved with getting Novocaine. There's a risk involved in getting an MRI. So nothing is risk-free um, in, in this business. And so, yeah, there is a risk involved. But again, given the overwhelming scientific evidence, this is the best hope we have to get control of this uh, virus. Right. And so, so it does bring it down to the, the point that it, it's, not, it's not necessarily a, um, an availability Mm -hmm. uh, of the vaccine right it's the problem it, it's whether or not americans are going to take it that's uh, right now we don't know how other countries might do you know other cultures see this you know germany is facing it england's facing it the um, japan and china um, they will face it and i think different culture different cultures will will um, experience this differently right, right right but in america this this is what we're facing Okay. And in this, when you, it wasn't until you framed it as cultures that will handle it differently that it, that this even popped in my mind from what we were talking about prior to starting the podcast mm -hmm. is, um, you know, in America we like to differentiate ourselves from many other countries, especially more oppressive countries or countries mm -hmm. where the government has much more control over the people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that one of the one of the scariest things, as it relates to sort of compliance with a uh, a vaccine, um, goes will be as soon as we hear that there's a country that is mandating or forcing its people to have the vaccine, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, um, then we begin to see the vaccine as oppressive. Right. Uh, and as soon as we see the vaccine as oppressive, because another 
dictator or leader um, of another country is making its citizens um, take take it, we're going to start to, you know, many Americans will start to see the vaccine as as the culprit, not not necessarily the government of the other country, the vaccine as the as the vehicle. And And it reframes, yeah, reframes the vaccine as a problem rather than a solution in this country. And so we've solved the problem of creating a vaccine. We now have one. We have solved the distribution problem. We know how to get this vaccine. They're going to use tuna. They're going to use the freezers that they use for tuna. Right. to get this fat because the, they need the same cold temperatures mm-hmm. in order to maintain that color. And so the company that makes, I think it's Thermoclad that makes um, freezers for keeping tuna frozen from, from catch to service. Um, that company is going to retrofit, they're going to re- redesign those coolers so that they handle these thousands, tens of thousands of uh, vials of vaccine rather than tuna fish. So again, we have the technology, we have the distribution. The question now is, will Americans take the vaccine? Will they agree to take the vaccine in sufficient numbers? Right. Yesterday, Fauci was interviewed and he expressed this, this concern. He said, my concern now is, will enough people agree to, the, to get the vaccine? And right. that now is the problem facing all of us, facing us in, I think, in every country. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how um, the UK does, because they're a couple of weeks ahead of us. Um, I, th- I think ours is going to start to get distributed next week in, in our country. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the, distribu- how the um, compliance rate is in the UK and then what it will be in the US. And, and that brings us to, the, to our, the third article that we have posted right. in the, um, the link in the, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And, and that is an article that talks about um, the different, the four four different types of uh, vaccination attitudes, because um, yeah. it's not just yes or no. Um, exactly right. It's, what mm-hmm. this guy talks about is the idea that there, there's actually four different um, categories that people can fall into, um, right. and and depending on the way that, depending on the way that the government handles it, depending on the way that um, healthcare workers. Um, their providers are, are handling it, a person may fall into one of these different categories. That's right. And, and I thought this was really interesting because, as you say, it's not a yes or no. It's not, yes, I'm going to do it or no, I'm not going to do it. Um, that this, this study was done in Germany, um, but, but I think it has implications for most countries. I think most of us are going to fall into these, one of these four categories. Right. And I certainly did. As I went through them, I thought, oh, I guess I fall into this category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The first is the anti-vaxxers. They're just they're opposed to vaccination for themselves, and they're opposed to mandatory uh, vaccinations. I mean, this is that this is that anti-vaxxer group. So they're clearly at one end of the spectrum. Right. And, and this is again where we know that the, these numbers, because we were just talking about about fifty percent, mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. they they may not get it. Um, this is how one of the reasons why we know that it's not just yes or no, because this is about maybe 20% um, mm-hmm. uh, of the population. So there, there's another 30% that has to be accounted for, um, right. you know, mm-hmm. if you look at those numbers. So about 20, 22% or so would fall into this anti-vaccine um, category. Yeah, it's just a flat no. Right. No, no, no matter no. what. And then there's the second group that will get the vac. They're not opposed to getting the vaccine personally, 
but they're opposed to having it mandated. Right. And that I think a lot of Americans are probably going to fall into that category that that they may agree to get the vaccine. They just don't want to feel like they have to get it. Right. Like somebody's telling them to do. And this is a bigger portion of people. This is about 30%. Um, right. And if you take those two, anti-vaccine, and then what this author refers to as anti-duty, like they're, right. they don't, they're against being required to take it. There's right. your 50%. There's 50%, right. Mm-hmm. And the third group he calls, <laughs> he calls free riders. Right. Uh, that was kind of... Uh, kind of comical, tongue-in-cheek sort of way of, of uh, identifying this third group. Um, the free riders is they don't want to do it voluntarily. They're reluctant, either they're afraid or reluctant for some reason to get it. But they're in favor of mandatory vaccination because then they'll be forced to do it. Right. So it, so it forces their hand. They don't want to volunteer, but they'll do it because they're forced to do it. Right. Not out of a sense of duty, Right, but because they're forced to do it. I'm, and I'll put my seatbelt on because it's 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 required by law, not because it's, you know, safe, not because it keeps me safe, but because I'll get arrested if I don't. Right, and this it, and this would clearly be a smaller portion of the population, but it's um, but absolutely that, and I think that the seatbelt example is is a perfect example. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people who only do things because they're required to do it, not because it's safe, not because it's the best. You know the better policy or better idea, but because they're required to do it, that's the only reason. I think of people who don't wear masks unless they're forced to in order to go into a store. You you're not allowed in the store unless you wear a mask. Okay, then I'll put a mask on. Right. Otherwise, I'm not. so those are free riders. Right. right. Okay. Then the last the last group is this too would be the group that I would fall into, mm-hmm. um, and and that's the pro vaccine. I I, I'm, I would be fine with taking it. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And I don't mind it being mandatory. And the reason I don't mind it, you know, you can't you can't punish people for not doing it. Right. Okay. That that's that's not something any of us want to see. And how would you punish somebody? I heard a story the other day that Hawaii has a very strict um, mask policy or or social distancing policy, and they are actually fining. One woman got fined yeah. because she didn't have a mask on. And I think that's probably. Um, not the the approach that most of us want to take is is to punish people. You can mandate without punishing. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and I guess with that point, I would fall somewhere between either pro vaccine or the anti duty um, uh, right. because I'm going to get it. But um, you know, I don't want it to be mandatory with the idea that if you don't get it, then you're punished or that there's some negative consequence for not getting it. Um, yeah, the, the interesting question is going to be with healthcare workers. You know, if, if you're a nurse or a doctor or a healthcare worker, can you be forced to get the vaccine yeah. as a condition of employment? Right. Yeah, that's, that'll be interesting. That's an, it's a legal question. You right. Know, that's going to be settled in the courts. But, you know, if you're a teacher, yeah. you know, teachers are, are, I would consider teachers frontline workers. Okay, because they're exposed. Um, can you force a teacher to get the vaccination, to get the vaccine so that she protects her students? You know, can you mandate that? Can you make it a condition of employment? That's going to be an interesting question. Yeah. And, and, and I would be, yeah, yeah that'll be an interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, or if you're, you know, like that, we're psychologists, right? We see people, people come into our office. Do I have the obligation to become to get vaccinated so that I protect the people that I see. Right. Absolutely. 
yeah. yeah, it's that'll be an interesting uh, yeah. date. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think that anyone should tell anybody else what they have to do with their body, mm-hmm. or, or be in a situation where we punish people for, um, uh, you know, opting to um, you know have their own choice about what they do with their body. Right. Um, but th- but there is that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, with safety and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's an interesting, that's gonna be an interesting argument. Right. And then the last group, of course, at the other end of the, you have anti-vaccination at one end of a spectrum and then way at the other end, you have pro-vaccination. And I guess I would fall into that category where um, I, I will volunteer, I will take the, the vaccine. Um, and I think it should be mandatory for certain people to protect others, okay? If you're, if you're, working from home and you're not exposing yourself to anybody, then you don't have to be made to take this. But if you are, if you're, if you're in a, um, a, a, a position where you are exposing other people, then maybe you do have a, um, an obligation to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem we're talking about here, besides the, the legal issue of can I be forced to take it, um, this is about herd immunity. Mm-hmm. What the vaccine will do is it will accelerate herd immunity. This is a quicker way to get there and with less loss of life. Okay. Well, right. And, and again, the, 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 the likelihood of us gaining herd immunity is, is very small anyways. Right. But, but I think that what we're referring to here with the notion of herd immunity, not that it will eradicate like we, you know, like we try to do with um, measles or, or smallpox or something like that. Um, but what, what we're talking about here is, again, like we do with the flu, is, okay, there's enough people who are vaccinated and are, quote unquote, immune to it right. during the season or at periods of the year where it's at its highest, that, mm-hmm. you know, it decreases the, the toll that it takes on, you know, healthcare workers, hospital um, admission, right. and, and overall deaths, of course. Right, right. Yeah, because now this virus can kill. I mean, the, the, the yearly flus that we get don't kill most people, except the very, very vulnerable, the very young, the very old. Um, but this is a virus that can kill if you get it. And so that, that creates it. This isn't just a regular um, virus. This is a different kind of virus, much more lethal. And so we do have some social obligation to do what we can to protect each other um, and one of the ways to do that, vaccination. Herd immunity doesn't mean we're all going to be immune to this. Herd immunity simply means enough of us will be protected that we can manage those who do get it. So there are going to be people who will continue to get the coronavirus, this COVID-19 virus, but the numbers will be small enough that we can manage it. So um, that's, what, that's what we're talking about. We're not, going to, we're not going to all be immunized to this thing no matter what we do, um, any more than we're immunized against any other flu virus. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But the problem here is, is the lethality of this virus. That's, that's what we're concerned about. So, um, so we wanna get there as quickly as we can and this virus um, offers hope. So again, it's like masks, social distancing, uh, washing your hands and doing the vaccine. So if you combine all these things, um, we, we have a better chance of, of gaining control of this virus because we now see what happens when it gets out of control, which is what's happening right now around the world. Absolutely. So we, we certainly encourage you to you know, check out the, the articles that we posted um, yeah. and, and, to, and to just 
you know, look at the science and, and appreciate the science for what it is and what it says and what, what, it, what it's telling us. Don't, you know, don't become so inundated with um, conspiracies or with, um, you know, the, the, what, what the news tries to portray sometimes that, you know, things may not be as, as open and as forthcoming as they really are. You know, mm-hmm. we get into those scenarios where we're, we become overly anxious because we're listening to um, news outlets that are really just, you know, disseminating fear. Um, so, you know, really think about that and look at what is in your best interest, what is in your family's best interest, and what is in, you know, your society's best interest. Community, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we have that obligation they're, they're to each other, you know, to keep each other as safe as possible. Right. So, um, yeah, as you, as you work through this, because it's a very personal decision and it's a family decision, Okay, but as you work through it, you you have to you have to make a decision at some point. Right. You're, you're every, all of us are going to make a decision. The issue that the important issue is what evidence do you use to make your decision? Mm-hmm. And what we're saying is, if you, if you think back to that first article, what we're saying is, boy, the science is pretty clear on this one. I mean, the, the, this is rigorous science done by thousands and thousands and thousands of people, they can't all be in on the lie. I mean, it's just not possible. And so if you're going to make a decision, um, use the best evidence that you can get. If you have something comparable to the 40,000 people that, who were tested with this, if you have something as, as compelling as that, by all means, consider that. I just don't know of anything as compelling as the phase three trial that was undertaken with this drug. I mean, I, I just, I don't have anything else that has that kind of evidence. And so the science is saying this, I don't know of anything other than that, that I would rely on. Right. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so, so uh, love the science. Yeah. Embrace it. Right. It's what we have. It's what it's, it's all that we have to, to make these kinds of decisions. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, that is it for today. Um, we'll be back next week and talk about some holiday cheer. We'll talk about some more stuff next week. We'll talk about more things. Right. So okay. that's it. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.